A blowout loss and an injury to its star quarterback sent UVA into its open date on a sour note. A road trip proved to be just what Virginia Tech needed to get back in the win column. And the first college football playoff rankings are out. The ACC is on the outside looking in. All that and Aaron McFarland's puppy chow this week on Teal and Bark. Welcome in to episode 65 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's UVA, Virginia Tech, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 13-time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Mike, good afternoon. Not to give away any of your family secrets, but are you really finishing the Halloween candy? It's all gone? <laughs> finishing is the wrong word. I put some candy in a bowl right before we started recording. I'm about to finish that, but I will tell you, my, my wife made the interesting decision of hiding the kids' candy in my office. She, she, she didn't want them uh, just picking at them. <laughs> right. Just picking at the, and now the trash can behind me is just filled with Twix and peanut M&M wrappers because um, don't worry, mom, the kids won't eat too much candy because dad is taking care of it right now. I mean, we've got enough candy in here. It, it, Halloween candy in this house usually lasts for a year. I yeah, mean, that's how doesn't... much loot that she came back with. We came back with a lot of candy, and I'd like to say it would last a year. It's not going to. And, David, you know what made it worse this year? So with with yesterday being Election Day, we're recording this here on Wednesday. Yesterday being Election Day, uh, they have the, the annual bake sale to benefit the PTO. So we've already got a house full of more sweets than we ever keep around here. Um, and then we had to go, of course, support the PTO. And, and when we voted, we picked up some brownies and some cookies and some scones and so uh, it is not it is not comfortable for dieting right now in the Barber household. I'll <laughs> I'll say it that way. Uh, how about for you guys? Did, did you enjoy Halloween? Did did you get out and and trick or treat? We we did. I mean, Laura had the luxury of going twice. Oh wow! Be, because in our little town, they did Saturday night mm. Halloween. So she and a neighbor friend went off and did that. And then Sunday when I was back from Atlanta, we went over to grandma's neighborhood uh, and, and, and pilfered the candy over there as well. That sounds now. Did you wear a costume? No, no, that's not a, that's not a teal thing. That, that, that is not a David teal thing. <laughs> so the rest, the rest of the family, no, just Laura, just Laura. Okay. Yeah. We, so we did, as I think I mentioned last week, we did, uh, my son was Curious George, and I was the man in the yellow hat. The photo and, was adorable. Yeah, we I appreciate that. We'll, we'll have to get somewhere to share that, maybe on Twitter or something. But um, I think I told you, but, but Elizabeth, my wife, normally, uh, she would prefer not to be in costume. She follows uh, your approach to, to this holiday and um, doesn't see the need in getting dressed up. But it backfired on her because she tried to have my daughter combine costumes with some friends in the neighborhood. And then that negotiation basically fell apart on the kid's end. So mom ended up having to be uh, one of the 101 Dalmatians with my daughter. So we had two Dalmatians, a monkey and a man in a yellow hat uh, going around and and ruining our diet by picking up all this candy. (laughs) 
And I'll tell you, we also had a neighbor who um, they had the cooler out with the uh, the adult trick or treating. Oh yeah. So the, yeah, so the beers were were available too. So it was uh, an enjoyable holiday. I was glad to be home on on Sunday and uh, make that all work. And after Saturday, uh, kind of spending it, you know, looking over and and, and looking at a lot of college football and uh, I didn't make the trip to Utah. So there was more time to, to take in games. I did watch the game for Virginia BYU as, as I imagine you did too. Oh, yeah. You know, when he was hired back in 2016, Broncos said he wished UVA would push that series with BYU back till after he was done. And, and <laughs> David seeing how things went Saturday night out in Provo, he probably would double down on that opinion. He, he, he probably would 66 to, to 49, but I'll tell you what, I, I thought he was, I thought Bronco was very gracious post game and, and almost he doesn't get emotional publicly, but he did seem to be really touched by the reception, not only inside the stadium, but I don't know if you noticed pregame ESPN showed him coming mm-hmm. into the stadium off the bus. And it was, it was like the conquering hero returning home to Provo. Yeah. And, and David, uh, our friend Preston Willett from the local CBS station was out there and he shared some pictures post game that were very much the same thing. People who hung around and, and after taking, you know, just a, a brutal beating right on the chin, right? He was still shaking hands. And, and um, I think it, it, it was a very genuinely emotional night for him. And I think because of his kind of views on loyalty and how important mm-hmm. that is to him, I sure. think he had some questions because I, I think leaving BYU was hard for him from the loyalty standpoint, right? Like I, I think he's kind of wired as you pledge yourself and that's it forever. And, you know, that doesn't meld well with the college football model that we all live in. And, I, I think there's a part of him that wondered how would he receive someone who had left. Um, so I think he was pleasantly uh, surprised and pleased with, with, with the love that was shown to him. He was less pleased, I would imagine, yeah. with what happened on the field. David, for the rest of the nation, that was a wildly entertaining game. People were tweeting, is Brendan Armstrong a Heisman candidate? How much fun is this UVA offense? Uh, but for Bronco, he saw a team fall behind 21 nothing get back, and then a defense that just really could never get its feet under it. No, really couldn't. The most points allowed by Virginia, Mike, since 1977 mm. uh, in, in a game at Texas. 36 BYU first downs. That matches the most ever by a UVA opponent. 36 first you can't, downs. You can't get off the field. No. And 734 yards. 8.8 yards per play. I mean, Tyler Algier, 266 yards rushing, five touchdowns. Again, those five touchdowns match the most ever by a Virginia opponent. Um, you, know, you, you were there in, in, in Chapel Hill mm-hmm. when UVA lost 59-39, and you thought, okay, that's got to be the bottom for this defense. Well, it was not. Uh, just – Poor tackling, poor angles, just, I mean, fundamental stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, one of the reasons I'm eating this bowl of candy was I was out at UVA practice this morning, so I didn't have a chance to grab lunch. I was talking to, to Joey Blunt and Mandy Alonzo essentially about what went wrong defensively in this BYU game because what we heard from the Car- after the Carolina game and after the Wake game and in some other moments, you know, even, even Georgia Tech had some long plays, was missed assignment. 
misalignment, right? Guys were in the wrong spot or late to their spot. Uh, guys misdiagnosing plays. And not that none of that happened in Provo, but what Joey and Mandy said, and you could see it watching, it was missed tackles. Yeah. And and Joey Blunt was pretty blunt in saying, you know, he had a lot of those, right? Where you're in the right spot and you don't make the play. Now, David, that's a whole nother area of concern because uh, if you finally got this defense to get to the right spot and they still can't make the play, well, then I don't know what the answer is. And let's be clear, that's uncharacteristic for Joey Blunt. Right. Because I think he's one of the best tacklers on the team. Maybe, maybe I've been... Uh, misguided in, in, in that assessment, but he he can bring the wood. And when he's out there missing tackles, you know you have a problem. And let's also understand BYU's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're ranked number 15 in, in the first college football playoff rankings released last night. Yeah, they, they, they had the setbacks uh, to Boise and, and at Baylor, but you know they've they've beaten four Pac-12 teams. They've beaten UVA. That's a pretty good outfit that uh, that the Cougars have put together. Absolutely. Now, David, we've made it this far without yeah. really getting into the bad news mm-hmm. from the game for UVA, and that was yeah. the injury to star quarterback Brendan Armstrong. I mentioned the internet was a buzz, right? People were finally taking notice of Brendan Armstrong and everything he's doing and his numbers. And then there came a play in the fourth quarter. It was a third and three trying to pick up the first down, which he did. At the end of the play, Brennan extends the ball. He gets four yards in the first down, comes down hard on on his ribs, stays in the game, and the next play, he drops back to pass. He throws a ball woefully underthrown, easily intercepted, and as he's coming off the field, the TV shows him pointing to the left side of his rib cage. Remember, he's a left-hander. Pointing to the left side of his rib cage and mouthing, it's broken, Broken. it's broken, Uh, which is for a quarterback – a potentially at this point season ending injury we don't know we don't have any updates but david i mean how bad is the prospect of facing this next stretch notre dame pittsburgh virginia tech without arguably the best player in the acc this season yeah i mean and it's no knock on on jay wolfolk right the the the, the freshman who i noticed you know and, and, and maybe it's, it's just youth he's on the sideline warming up got a big smile on his face not a care in the world this you know it was almost as if he was in a in a preseason scrimmage he looked as calm and and, and poised as you would hope but mike you're right arguably the best player in the league although the quarterback performances in this conference have been off the charts all season between armstrong and pickett and hartman and al and uh, devin leary and malik cunningham but how many quarterbacks, you're down 21 nothing, and Virginia scored touchdowns on six consecutive possessions. And oh, by the way, Brandon Armstrong was responsible for all six of those touchdowns, rushing for two and throwing for four. That's why Twitter was a buzz. It was remarkable. Yeah, yeah. He deserved all the, the adulation and uh, frankly didn't deserve the injury. Now, the interesting thing is ribs are, are funny and, and you don't know what they're going to be and what they're going to do. I talked to one trainer in the ACC, football trainer, uh, last night, and he told me, hey, broken ribs can keep a, a football player out anywhere from no time to the rest of the season. Uh, depends where the fracture is. 
How many ribs are broken? Is it towards the sternum or towards the spine, the front or the back? Um, you know, what, and then what position does he play? Quarterback on his left side. The other thing to factor in that, that was brought up to me by a, a few teammates, again, at, at UVA practice today was, hey, if there's anybody that can play through yes. considerable pain, <laughs> it's Brennan Armstrong. So if this is not a situation where there's any uh, punctured lung, which is another thing you worry about with cracked ribs, if this is pain only, man, there is certainly more of a chance of Brennan Armstrong playing through it than a lot of guys we know. But David, it's tough. And, and, and Bronco Mendenhall on his radio show last night flat out said, hey, I'm not giving any updates. We're not talking about it yet. I don't think we're going to know for a while what the outlook is for Brennan Armstrong. Agreed. And Mike, th- this goes back to uh, uh, several conversations we've had earlier this season about Mendenhall keeping Armstrong in the game late when the outcome is already decided. And just that mentality of your leader and he's, he's never sitting down and he's never giving up. But I wonder how that plays entering a non-conference game mm-hmm. against Notre Dame. I know you want to beat a top 10 team. I know what it would mean for the program and because of the Notre Dame brand. But do you want to put him in harm's way against Notre Dame when what you really want is to defend that Coastal Division championship from 2019? And that hinges on Pitt and Virginia Tech in the subsequent weeks. It's, it's a fascinating dynamic to me if it comes to that. Yeah, and I don't know, David, if you ever saw the uh, Oliver Stone movie, Any Given Sunday. Mm-hmm. There's a scene there where basically the the ownership is telling the, the team trainer, one player, tell him he can go, even though probably he can't. And one player, they're saying, tell him he can't go because they don't want him to reach a, a contract bonus. <laughs> and uh, I'm not suggesting dishonesty, but if I'm UVA, I have my trainers tell Brennan it's not an option for Notre Dame because it's going to be hard to convince him not to go, right? If it's Brennan Armstrong's call, he's going to play. But I, I will tell you from talking to the players this morning, and they wouldn't address Brennan's situation. But multiple players, starting with Mandy Alonzo, said to me, Pitt is for the Coastal Division Championship. Virginia Tech would be for the state championship. And assuming you win those, the next game would be for the ACC championship. They have their eyes on three championship games in a row. I think they understand where Notre Dame falls in the pecking order, even though you're right. It, to the fans, it, it's important. Uh, but if you want to win the division... How much does it mean? And and that brings us neatly to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. Take it or leave it. Virginia can still win the ACC Coastal Division without Brennan Armstrong. Let's start with David. I will leave it. Certainly the Cavaliers can. They would need, just need to beat Pitt and Virginia Tech, and it's all very neat and tidy. But I, I find it difficult to envision UVA being able to pull that off with a backup quarterback for two reasons. Number one, he's a he's a freshman backup, Wolfolk is. And number two, especially you're going to be on the road at Pittsburgh against a lights-out quarterback in Kenny Pickett. And oh, by the way, your defense just gave up 66 points and nine touchdowns in your most recent road game at BYU. That, that to me is a, a mountain that the Cavaliers cannot climb. All right. Thanks, David. Mike? Now, call me crazy, but I'm going to take it. And, and here's why. It has nothing to do with Virginia's terrible defense, nothing to do with the fact that I think 
their traditional run game can carry them uh, through at least one of those upcoming games. Little to do with the fact that between Wolfolk and Thompson and Ira Armstead, I, I think they can put together a, a game plan that will be functional. It's got everything to do with, I don't think Pitt's that good. I don't think Virginia Tech's that good. Um, so I think they can. I'm not saying I think they will. And I think the hope certainly is that you can get Armstrong back for one of those two games, at least. Um, but I think Virginia can win it because the more I look at Pittsburgh, yeah, Kenny Pickett's been great, but the Western Michigan loss, the Miami loss, are they out of character? Are they head scratchers? Or is that kind of maybe who Pitt is? Like, who else have they, as we'll get into when we do the, the college football uh, rankings, who else have they beaten? Um, same for Virginia Tech. Like, I, I think Virginia can win without Armstrong because, let's face it, they're not playing any world beaters down the stretch. Point well taken, but I just, the one game Armstrong missed last season, they lost at Wake Forest against a team that ended up finishing below 500. That to me is is also a, a red flag. And I just, hard to envision that defense holding up. Yeah, I agree. Although in that Wake game, you know, it was Lindell Stone and then a, a litany of running quarterbacks. I think they can do more now with Wolfolk, but um Part of my answer there might have been just to have a little conversation so we're not both on, <laughs> on the same side of it. Uh, certainly, I think we both agree they have a great shot to win the division if they can get Armstrong back for Pitt and Virginia Tech. And uh, Virginia Tech, man, it's going to be an interesting game, however it shakes out. The Hokies, they went and snapped their, their three-game losing streak with a road win at, at Georgia Tech. David, you've been telling me for a couple weeks now that, that maybe some Time away from Blacksburg would be good for this team. Well, they certainly look better down in Atlanta. What, what stood out to you? A couple things, Mike. N- number one was the continued resurgent running game spearheaded by true freshman Malachi Thomas, who is now th- the first true freshman running back at Virginia Tech since Kevin Jones in 2001 with back-to-back 100-yard games. And it, and not only Thomas, Raheem Blackshear goes for 83 yards on 14 carries. And Braxton Burmeister throws for a career-high 253. And Trey Turner has a career-high 187 receiving yards. So you process all those numbers, you hear all those numbers, and you think, wow, the Hokies probably scored 50 points, right? <laughs> mm, he scored two touchdowns. <laughs> and had and and had and kick four field goals, so there's there's still something as good as those numbers and as encouraging as those numbers were and as much improved as those numbers were. There's still something missing there, Mike. Yeah, David, I said it this way: that performance by the offense, if it happens in week two or three, you're thinking, okay, we got the the makings of something here. Burmeister looks a lot better when the defense has to support that run game uh, and defend that run game. Early in the season, that would be very encouraging. At this point, it's it feels a little bit like too little, too late, but um, certainly you'd rather do it than not do it. Um, and I do think Burmeister's passing success, a lot of that was set up by the fact that, that the run game was more productive. The mm-hmm. defense w- was decent in this one. Remember, they had that certainly laps there defensively uh they got back to being a a solid unit david the the remaining games and this isn't a commentary on tech as much as it is the opponents these are winnable games they're they're at boston college friday night they host duke they play at miami and 
Uh, they play a Virginia team that may or may not have Brennan Armstrong. What are we making of the Hokies going down the stretch? Well, I, it, it's a it's a fascinating uh, few games coming up because if if the Hokies can win Friday, all of a sudden they're five and four. They're going to beat Duke. Duke's just a mess, and then all of a sudden you're bowl eligible, and you're six and four going to Miami. But all of a sudden, that Miami game looks a lot dicier because yeah. Tyler Van Dyke and the boys have beaten two ranked opponents in succession with NC State and, and Pitt on the road. So another coach on the hot seat, my, or Manny Diaz at Miami, all of a sudden has his group playing exceptionally well and perhaps better than, than anyone thought that, that it could here late. So th- you know that that game looks a whole lot more challenging than it might have two weeks ago, but but your point is is a good one. The the Hokies could well be six and four and bowl eligible, headed to South Florida in late November. So if they uh, if they get there and they get bowl eligible, if they get to seven eight wins, are we changing our our lean on what's happening next with Justin Fuente? At eight and four, I would change my lean especially because it, it's not out of the realm now, especially if they were then in the ACC championship game. Which, my, crazy my, to th- say, is possible, right? That's oh, still my, very Mike, possible. Th- th- that, that pit loss on Saturday, we are back to coastal chaos. As you wrote, if you haven't checked out uh, David's column on richmond.com, check that out with uh, the impact of that and, and the, the annual mess <laughs> that is the coastal division. Yeah, I mean, and and there's a path that's not all that inconceivable to a five-way tie at five and three. Which is what the rest of the country is rooting for. If you're in Blacksburg, you want a title. If you're in Charlottesville, you want a title. If you're anywhere else in the country other than an ACC town, you want the mess, don't you? Right, but but here's the crazy thing. At the, the winner of that five-way tie could well be Virginia Tech. Just ridiculous in its own right. That, that Virginia Tech team, they're two and a half point favorites on the road Saturday night mm-hmm. at Boston College, where traditionally they have not played well. What should we make of that? Well, you know who we'll pose that question to. And he is joining us for another edition of AMAX Puppy Chow. This is our good friend and the outstanding sports columnist from the Roanoke Times, Aaron McFarling. Aaron, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Just spent a week immersing myself in NASCAR for uh, Martinsville Speedway. I'm ready to back get back to the gridiron. It's nice to get away sometimes from from football and and just do something else for for a week. And uh, now we're right back into the uh, the football mix. No doubt. You, you'd mentioned earlier on this show the uh, I mean only half jokingly the the desire to diversify your portfolio when it comes to sports betting. Do you do any any NASCAR wagering? I do. I love the matchup bets, you know, where it's one driver to finish ahead of another. I find it very, very foreboding to try to pick the winners of those races. It's so difficult. You know, my pick going into Martinsville was Martin Truex Jr., who'd won three out of the last four. Uh, He was as good as pick as anybody. But, you know, he wrecked just like everybody else does at that track. (laughs) Um, So he didn't really have a chance to win. So, But but the matchups are fun because even if you're behind, you know, if the other guy gets in a wreck, you're a winner. You know, I've had – bets like that that have wrecked you know the, my, my opponent has wrecked on the third lap and he's out of the race and all of a sudden you're you're already a winner so there yeah I, I, it's really increased my interest in nascar having the uh the matchup bets for sure 
Yeah, I bet that the short track seems like a bit of a crapshoot because of, like you said, the the amount of carnage that we see in those races sometimes. Yeah, and in the places like Talladega too, where you know you, you get a big one, and it doesn't matter how good you are, you just it's all about luck. So uh, it, it is kind of just a, a a coin flip a lot of times. But you know me, I'm always taking underdogs. So you give me uh, plus money on a coin flip, I'll take it. I believe it. I believe it. Well, that brings us then uh, to this week's college football slate. And uh, I'm looking at, at a team that I, I guess I thought might be an underdog, but Virginia Tech, they're, they're a three-point favorite on the road at Boston College, um, certainly coming off the win over Georgia Tech, that the passing game looked better. But Aaron, first off, did it surprise you to see the Hokies as a favorite? No, and I actually thought they might be a little bit more of a favorite just given how bad BC's offense has been since uh, losing their quarterback. I mean, they've been a mess at that position specifically, and they just they haven't been scoring a lot of points. Their defense has been feisty though, and uh, you know that you know when I look at um, you know how the how BC's been playing, how the Hokies are playing, neither one of them has a ton of momentum. But if you look at some of the other trends, you know they they point to BC. You know they Tech's only covered once in their past five trips to Chestnut Hill. It's been a tough place for them, um, and they've covered just twice in their past nine road games overall. You know, we haven't seen a lot of road games this season. Of course, they did cover last week as an underdog against Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech was an awful road team. That's not the case with Boston College. They Even despite their struggles this year, they're 6-2 they're and two against the spread in their past eight home games. So regardless of the fact that it's not the most uh, – you know, vociferous crowd that shows up to, <laughs> to alumni stadium. Uh, they play well there. And uh, yeah, I, I think they will again this week. I'm going to take Boston college 24, 20. I kind of hope the Hokies win. Cause I would like more interesting things to cover the rest of the year, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, I got to go with what my, uh, my pick says and not, not what uh, my job would be better or, or worse for. So uh, we'll go with Boston college 24, 20. No doubt. And I think you're being generous when you just describe it as a, not that vociferous crowd. It's, <laughs> It's dead there. It's empty. I mean, it is. Well, if they put um, the Frozen Four scores up on the scoreboard, you'll hear some cheering, I'm sure. But other for, than for, that, yeah. yeah. It is not one of – and it's always been interesting to me that uh, Virginia Tech in the time that I've been around has not played well there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they haven't been great BC teams. And it isn't a great home atmosphere. It's, uh, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a far trip and it can be a little chilly. But th- there's no real reason to me for Tech to be consistently bad in Chestnut Hill. But, but they have been. Yeah, and I think something I'm going to write about later this week is, you know, they entered that Georgia Tech game, Hokies I'm talking about, as the least penalized team in the country. And even after that game, they're the you know fourth least penalized team in the country. I think part of that is they haven't been on the road at all. You know, I mean, yeah. you don't get those homer calls. I mean, even um, I mean, it's human nature for I think for officials to to throw a flag here and there um, for the home team, and uh, that's uh, that's something that happens regardless of whether the crowd is going crazy or not. And so, yeah, I mean, it is it is an interesting phenomenon. It was a similar phenomenon with Heinz Field and Virginia Tech. You know, they had so much trouble. You know, this uh, right. going up there and, and losing in front of you know at an NFL stadium that had maybe a third <laughs> a third capacity. You know. I mean, it was, uh, it looked like a COVID crowd uh, most of the times you went up there. So, um, you know, it, it is, it is kind of baffling and there are certain venues that just, that just tend to matter. And that's why, um, that's why I'm going to stick with BC here. Staying on this game for another second, especially since we, we don't have UVA this week, they're on the, the open date, as we've mentioned the over under for this Virginia tech, Boston college game. Now tech's offense got going a little bit. Uh, BC, you mentioned their their offense has not gotten going, but 46 and a half 
is what I'm looking at for this game. Aaron, I mean, it jumped out to me as being really low, but again, I see the reasons. What do you make of that? I think it's about right. I mean, you know, the Hokies, <laughs> despite uh, BC struggles, they have a better offense, a total offense rating than, than the Hokies do. It's you know, it's hard, easy to forget that when they're coming off a win, um, and you see, you know, Trey Turner. Uh, make however many catches he made for like 176 yards. I mean, that you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. These guys do have some talent on that side of the ball. But, um, you know, they're, they're like 104th in offense, the Hokies are. And, you know, it, it, you know, despite Malachi Thomas's emergence, you know, you feel better about the running game certainly than you did three weeks ago. But um, it's still the totality of it all is their offense has been putrid. You know, and so, and you look at uh, BC as a top fifty defense in the country. Um, you know, they they've been holding some good teams down, um, scoring wise. So, you know, that that makes sense to me that it would be a low total, and that's why my my score prediction is as low as it is. I mean, my score prediction actually would have them going under in this game. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm expecting a real uh, slobber knocker up there, a real frog <laughs> strangler, as my friend Randy King would say. Yeah, so if, if you guys enjoyed BYU-UVA the other night, don't tune in for <laughs> right. Virginia Tech and Boston College. going to be a different kind of game. Aaron, I wanted to ask you also about uh, Wake Forest, who, who is, in a sense, running away with the ACC, largely due to lack of competition. They're two-and-a-half-point underdogs playing North Carolina this week. What did you make of that? Yeah, I did do a double-take when I saw it for a second, but, you know, again, you know, you look at some of the trends. Uh, one of the, I think, the one that sticks out most for this one is is the series trend. You know, the uh, home teams covered in six of the last seven meetings between these two teams. So venue matters in this series, and it's mattered uh, for the Tar Heels for a while. You know, they've uh, they haven't covered very much this year uh, in any of their games, but um, certainly they tend to have a better chance at home. I actually kind of I lean towards Wake here. I'll. I'll take the sucker bet and, you know, say, I'll take the <laughs> points, you know, because I, they are, they're, they're well coached. They're feisty that, they, you know, they've uh, covered in 13 of the last 18 as a road underdog. I mean, they're good in an underdog spot. It's more those games where they've been a favorite where I haven't loved them. You know, they were like a seven point favorite against Syracuse. I did not love them there. And, and of course, Syracuse covered, but didn't win. So Wake's gotten by by the skin of their teeth in some of these games. But um, as an underdog, I like them. I'll, ta- I'll take them in this spot. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you when I saw that. That kind of jumped out. I think this is one of those we've talked about on the show, but I think this is one of those cases where Vegas is maybe a little slow to believe in, in Wake Forest. And I think I was too too. Um, but I'm starting to come around. They seem to be holding up week after week. How about uh, across the board nationwide? What's your upset of the week? Well, I'll give you two quick ones. In the ACC, I'm going to go ahead and bet against Clemson again. I mean, that was a crazy finish in that FSU game. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, that's a candidate for bad beat of the year if you had Florida State plus nine and a half with that hook and ladder, that miscue that happened on the final play of the game. So, uh I, you know, that's the first time the Tigers have covered all year. They're favored again here. Uh, Louisville's solid at home. They're nine and four, four against the spread in their last 13 home games. I'm going to pick an upset straight up there with 20, 26, 24 Louisville. Uh, Nationally, I'm going to go West Virginia. I'm going to take West Virginia, and this is more about a little bit of faith in the Mountaineers than it is anything against Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State is covered in six straight games, and they're a three-point favorite in this spot on the road. Um, so, you know, there's nothing really to dislike about Oklahoma State, but Mountaineers have been a good, good home team, and I and I'm going to just go out on a limb a little bit here and say that they're going to they're going to win this game outright. Uh, they're eight one and one 
against the spread in their past 10 home games. Of course, one of those was against the Hokies earlier this year. They've covered in five of their past seven as an underdog. They like being an underdog. And uh, at four and four, I think uh, they're, they're certainly an underdog in this spot, but I think they'll pull it out. 28-24 Mountaineers. There you go. Take the Mountaineers and uh, take your bets. Good luck, Aaron. Thanks for uh, being back. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Good luck, everybody. Well, David, those college football playoff rankings were released this week and uh, plenty to digest, plenty to talk about. But since we started you know, with all this ACC talk, let's start there. Wake Forest undefeated the class of the ACC, a Power Five conference. They're at number nine. Mm-hmm. Any shot for them to, to make it into the top four? Yeah, I think it, as we've discussed previously, it's a long shot, need a lot of help. Cannot have a hiccup. Have to have to be thirteen and zero. Obviously, when when you're sitting there at nine, you you, you can't have a setback. But it's yeah, it's it, it's conceivable, and especially with you know in in two weeks they they play number nineteen number nineteen in the in the rankings NC State, which would certainly bolster the the, the Deacons' resume sh- should they get a win there, and then. Going to Clemson the following week, the Tigers have the nation's longest home winning streak. I believe it's 31 games and counting. So, yeah, there's a chance. I don't like the chance, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I think pretty fairly. The committee looks at Wake Forest, even though they're undefeated, and says, who have they beaten? Which yeah. I, I think that's fair. I don't understand how they look at Cincinnati at 8-0 with a win over Notre Dame, who they have number 10, and seemingly say, who have they beaten? Because among their eight victories, Notre Dame, David, fair or unfair that Cincinnati checks in at number six in these rankings? I think it's pretty unfair, Mike. Cincinnati not only beat Notre Dame, they did so on the road mm-hmm. and did so pretty convincingly, if if memory serves. This was not some come from behind. Right deal where the underdog Bearcats you know, <laughs> s- somehow clawed their way to victory. Cincinnati was better than Notre Dame that day. Cincinnati has been better than a whole lot of folks the last few seasons. Luke Fickle has that thing going on. And I, I know that Indiana has not had even remotely the season right. that many anticipated. But that was a squad that had a really good 2020 and that people were very high on. And Cincinnati whacked them on the road earlier this season as well. Mike, I know know you vote in the Associated Press poll. I vote in the Football Writers poll. I voted Cincinnati number three this week. Where did you have Cincinnati in the AP poll? I'm going to pull it up to make sure I don't tell any fibs. And and I think I had them. I wanted to say three. It could be four. So let me pull it up. Yeah, I had them fourth. I have Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Cincinnati, then Oklahoma, Michigan State, Auburn, Oregon. Um, I think Cincinnati deserves to be up there. I think for me, when I do the AP poll, it's very um, fluid week to week. So if you look back over my voting, teams move pretty dramatically based on how they play and what I see. Uh, But to me, Cincinnati is undeniable. And and that win over Notre Dame, you mentioned Indiana. uh, To me, they've done as much as any of those other teams. And when you get to that point, you're looking for a tiebreaker. To me, undefeated is a pretty good one. Uh, to me, Cincinnati, the knock on them is, eh, are they going to get it done for 12 weeks? And 
the counter argument is, okay, well then rank them in the top four. And when they stumble, you drop them. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But to start them on the outside looking in with the resume they have, I don't get it. And it's going to be hard given the rest of the schedule for Cincinnati to A, climb above some of those teams and B, avoid some teams behind them from leapfrogging because of the, the, the marquee games that those folks will play. That That's where I, where I think folks are justified in being pretty perturbed with the committee right now because the, the, the road for Cincinnati to get into that top four may be as unlikely as Wake Forest Road. Yeah, I mean, they really are going to rely on some very good teams losing some inexplicable games um, down the stretch yeah. to get them in. And, and to me, that's what's unfair. Again, I would start them in the top four and give them the chance to play their way out of it. Because to your point, how do they play their way back into it? Now it's it feels largely out of their hands. So with our listeners have it in case they haven't seen it. The committee went Georgia number one. I don't think there's any argument there. Alabama number two. I just told you, I had them number two on my AP ballot. To me, uh, the team I don't want to face right now is Georgia. The second team I don't want to play is Alabama. David, is the committee still too high on Alabama? I think a little bit. I voted Alabama four in in the football writers poll. So, you know, I've certainly got them among the, the, the elite. But, I mean, two strikes me as, as a little generous. That makes sense. As we look at Oregon at four, they're interesting. They've got the early win right over Ohio State that they kind of hang their hat on. Then sort of the head-scratching loss in there, Stanford, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do we make of Oregon? And, and what do we make of the fact that go down the rankings, you don't see another Pac-12 team. That's got to hurt Oregon the rest of the way. Absolutely. You don't see another Pac-12 team in the top 25. Mm. That's that's remarkable. And you know, not that the ACC is any great shakes. NC State's at 19 and Pitt's at, at number 25. And in a week or two, they could have vanished. So you, you never really know. I'm just glad that the committee has Oregon ahead of Ohio State. I don't care where Oregon – I don't have Oregon in my top four, but I certainly have Oregon ranked ahead of Ohio State because Oregon beat them in Columbus. And if if the games don't matter, then why play them? So I'll draw your ire here and tell you I've got Ohio State at number three mm-hmm. and I have Oregon at number eight. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's how you're playing right now and who would I, who would I rather face – but that's for an AP poll versus the college football playoff. I think if it came down to Oregon and Ohio State, you certainly have to give the tip there, right? If, if it's one spot that you're talking about and you're comparing the two, how could you not go with the team that won head-to-head in that situation? Yeah, if their records are the same. Like exactly. If, if, if Ohio State is the Big Ten champion at 12-1 and one, and Oregon is the Pac-12 champion, at 12 and one, it's going to be fascinating because again, as as you mentioned, Mike, Oregon is not, is very conceivable. will not face another top 25 team the rest of the season, even in its conference title game. Whereas Ohio state still has to play Michigan state and Michigan. And if, if, if the Buckeyes get those two, then then even I might be convinced 
to vault them ahead of the Ducks. We'll we'll see. You know, it, it, style style points will matter at, at that point. That could be a very dicey decision. No, and the Big Ten will make it interesting because of those games. But I think that's the way it's supposed to work, right? Those teams will play their way in or out of mm-hmm. the playoff. And again, going back and, and not to, to beat a dead horse, it's what bothers me about Cincinnati. I don't see how they can play their way in because of where they've been placed. And the committee just, it feels to me, and, and maybe I'm being unfair, it feels to me like they have an eye on the on the future as they do this rankings. Like Georgia, Alabama at 1-2, that seems to set up to say, hey, even if they one loses to the other in the title game, you can still make a case to put them both in. Whereas if you have them at four, now they're dropping out. Um, it, it just it, it feels a little political, like they're setting up for, okay, we're going to have two SEC teams, we're going to have the best team in the Big Ten, and then the rest of you were fighting for that fourth spot. Um, I don't know that that's the way it's designed, and I guess it's why so many people are beating the drum for expansion. Right. The, the, I was just going to say that if if the, if these rankings in, in this particular season don't convince folks that expansion is necessary, then perhaps nothing will. Yeah, I mean, an eight-team playoff with this field, to me, would be pretty enticing. I, I, I still am a fan of eight. David, we've kind of covered where we, we see teams right now, but I want to ask you something else before we get out of here because sure. my phone was blowing up while we're recording from oh. friends, people who know. I, I went to Rutgers uh, up in New Jersey, and um, they have struck a deal to have their basketball arena, the Rack, as, as it's lovingly known, the uh, Rutgers Athletic Center, actually named the Lewis Brown Athletic Center. And it's a great venue. If, you, if you've never been, it's, it's not a, I'm not pretending it's a great basketball program, but it's a great venue uh, to be at. Um, the noise traps in and just a, a real, it's one of Dick Vitale always puts it on his you know favorite gyms to, to cover a game at. And so many of those old Big East, Big Monday games there against Syracuse and Georgetown. Well, they struck a deal to have it sponsored by Jersey Mike Subs, which <laughs> I I get it. And and also, I don't begrudge anybody taking money. I'm not writing any huge checks to Rutgers, so get your money where you can. But David, I don't know. I feel like Jersey Mike Subs Arena takes some of the, the luster or the imposing uh, atmosphere away. Does it matter to you? what the name on the building is. You mean you're, you're not up for Sankey's barbecue indoor stadium at Duke. It's, it's just doesn't have the same feel to it. Right. <laughs> I, I, I get you. And maybe there's a, maybe there's a way to, to do it where it would be, you know, the rack at so-and-so, you know, mm. I, I will say this, knowing Jersey people, I, I think they're going to keep calling it the rack. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if Jersey Mike's is going to get the, the bang for their buck necessarily on that front. Certainly there's other areas where it will be beneficial. Um, I hope they keep calling it the rack. I still call, uh, I don't even know what it is now, but it, it was Brendan Byrne Arena when I was a kid where the New Jersey Nets and Devils played and yeah. then it was Continental Airlines Arena and uh you know, I remember going to see what was left of Led Zeppelin, Page and Plant uh, there, and, and everyone said, where's the concert? And I said, Brendan Byrne. And they said, what's that? Said, okay, you all call it Continental Airlines Arena. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I hate the, the stadium naming thing, uh, and, and I, hope, I hope the rack lives forever, even though, as I said at the beginning of this, it's actually the Lewis Brown Athletic Center, which would be the Lebac and, and, and sounds sort of French-Canadian. <laughs> well, and, and Mike, to me, it was always the Meadowlands. It wasn't Brendan yeah. Byrne Arena. It was not Continental Airlines Arena. 
Where's the NCAA East Regional? At the Meadowlands. Absolutely. Home of the Giants and Jets, despite the fact that they're the New York Giants <laughs> and Jets. But honestly, right now, I don't think either New York or New Jersey wants to claim What's the either. Claim that? Exactly. Yeah, nobody wants either of those floundering franchises at this moment. Uh, I think you're in better shape right now if you're UVA and Virginia Tech fans than if you're Giants and Jets fans. But thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time.